0: Hey, and welcome to Insurance Town. I'm the Mayor Heath Sheeran and the host of this podcast. Guys, I am super pumped that you are here. Guys, I can't wait for you to check out this episode. It's a fun one. It's uh, it's quick, and it's got a lot going on. We I couldn't believe you know how much there was packed into this episode. So, guys, I can't wait for you to hear it. Uh, and I love, uh, and I could not be more excited about this episode. I could not do this episode without my sponsors. Uh, Smart Choice. And Canopy Connect and Manscaped, old school marketing. I've got some new sponsorships coming available. That I can't wait to tell you about as we get into 2024. Smart Choice is a network of over 9,700 independent agencies and over 120 carriers. Their agency partners represent more than 11 b- b- billion with a B in written premiums. They are the fastest growing agency network for a reason. Their agency-friendly contract puts agency partners first. Not last, not second, but first. Grow your book of business, increase your revenue, and be able to put your own clients first by partnering with Smart Choice. You you, you can't get any better than that. Uh, flawless nailed that one. <laughs> Good job, Smart Choice. Thank you so much. Go to SmartChoiceAgency.com. Guys, also, my friends over at Canopy Connect, I couldn't do this episode without them. One-click solution to getting those deck pages, loss runs, driver list, uh, vehicle list, everything you need to quote your prospects and make their customer journey that much better, make your agency that much better. No more second-guessing. No more guessing. No more following up 100 times to get the answers to your questions. Go to usecanopy.com backslash Heath and check it out you're gonna to want to make sure you get that discount make sure you get that demo make sure you do all of the things i love my friend toga and his crew over there at canopy connect now guys i can't wait for you to check out this episode my man todd what's going on brother how are you Heath, i am uh happy to be here thanks for having me on yeah dude welcome to insurance town man i'm glad you're here It's been a while. We've been friends for a little while now and never had a chance to get you on here. So I'm glad we're able to do that.
1: I was just trying to think before we hopped on the last time. Was the last time we connected was was it Colorado?
0: Maybe. I thought we were at. No, you and I hung out in Key West.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. We were down there for David's thing.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there's worse places to hang out. (laughs) (laughs) Key West was a good time. Yeah, dude, that was a good time. Uh, A very good time. Are you, a, are you a warm weather guy? Or are you more of a cold weather guy? Definitely warm weather. Yeah?
1: I don't know why. I love warm weather, but I live in Iowa, and so it's 30 degrees right now. Um, we've had rain. We've had sleet. We've had a little bit of snow. Nothing's really sticking, but uh, I could very easily head south for the winter someday. Yeah.
0: Soon. Yeah, I hear you. Um, I hear you. So um, everything everything good in your world as far as wrapping up 2023? Everything goes as well as you wanted it to this year?
1: 2023 was 2023 it's interesting. My wife and I were just talking about this. It was probably one of the biggest years of change in our, in our personal life, in our professional life, in our family life. Um, you know, I sold, I sold TAMS agency, which is our legacy family business that was around for almost 90 years in the fall of 2022. And then 2023 brought about the purchase of a new business, uh, additional growth and mod advisor. Uh, we had a, we had a, our first grandchild in in March, wow. uh, my daughter got engaged. And then shortly after we got engaged or she got engaged, we found out that, uh, she is also pregnant. So we've got a wedding here in a week. Wow! Um, just, you know, life comes at you as you get older, faster and yeah, faster,
0: dude. and you got to be able to deal with it. So that's a big year, man. Do you, you know, there's a whole conversation out there about change management. Do you guys feel like you handle change pretty well in your life? I think we do. I think uh, my
1: friends and family tell me I have an uncanny ability to handle stress and change. Yeah, Um, And I I guess I must, it feels normal for me to have stress. I don't know what it would be like not to have stress. Yeah, You know, on top of that, we moved, we're selling our house, we're selling our commercial building. Um, So a lot of iron's in the fire, but I wouldn't have it any other way.
0: Okay. So you're, you're, I'm a type of guy, my wife gets mad about this and I'm, I I thrive in chaos. I I love chaos. Is that you too?
1: Yeah. Give me a deadline. Give me a deadline and something to do, and we're going to make it happen no matter what. But, you know, to to have a weekend where we sit around the house and do absolutely nothing, I'll go stir crazy.
0: Yeah, I'm the same way. Um, You know, I I love having the chaos and having the people around and like a lot of stuff going on. If it's too quiet, it's weird. Um, Yeah. You know, I felt like Clark Griswold over, you know, Christmas break at the end of last year, um, you know, having you know, all the family over and trying to get the stuff going and everything. And I was like, man, I thrive in this. though. you know, the more, you know, shit that's blowing up around me and crap going on, the better it is for me.
1: 100%. I don't yeah, know either way.
0: Same way. So uh, let's dive into your a little bit of your backstory and who you are and uh, we'll take a walk down memory lane. If you want to go back as far as you want to and then lead me up to now and then I uh, can't wait to get into some conversations with you.
1: Well, how far back do you want to go?
0: I <laughs> mean, I don't want to go back to birth. That's a little weird, but we can go back, you know to insurance career, I guess. or maybe right before that.
1: well let's let's um let's start with uh, with the insurance career. Um so it's interesting. I didn't really, you know, insurance is one of those industries that most people don't choose. I certainly didn't choose it. um, but I was born into it. both both sides of my family had insurance agencies. My mom's father had an insurance agency. My dad's father had an insurance agency. And growing up, I swore kicking and screaming. I was never going to be an insurance agent. And it's interesting as you, if you follow, uh, if you follow some of my stuff on TikTok, prior to insurance, I used to run Arby's restaurants. And one of my worst days was, was, uh, burning down an Arby's restaurant. We had a big tour. Everybody came through. We spent four months fixing this thing up. Everything was great. Regional VPs, everybody came out and, uh, they left. And, you know, you kind of wipe the, wipe the sweat off your forehead, congratulate your team, thank them for all the hard work. The, the presentation went off without a hitch and we got to enjoy that for about 15 minutes before one of the employees comes up and says, Hey Todd, uh, there's a fire in the back room. And once again, stress is no big deal. I grab the fire extinguisher, go back in the back room and I unload it. And as I'm unloading it, flames are licking the ceiling and coming toward my head. And I thought, well, this little fire extinguisher is not going to cut it. And so we evacuated the restaurant, um, called the fire department and, uh, the, the school of thought back in the early two thousands was we had glass windows everywhere in a solarium and they just came through. And one guy's job was just to break every single piece of glass that you possibly could. And then the other team started chopping holes in the ceiling and the entire thing burned to the ground. Um, long story short, we found out this is risk management one-on-one, right? Wow. Part of the cleanup process for the restaurant. We power washed the entire property. So the power washer was a gas motor and we had a little, you know, two or three gallon gas can and somebody left the lid off the gas, the gas can, when they put it back in the mechanical room and they put it right next to the gas water heater. (laughs) And I I didn't even see it. Right. Nobody saw it. And so the back door was open that day with all the people coming and going, the fumes were released in the air, hot water heater, spark, caught the fumes and that's how that fire started.
0: Holy smokes. Wow. Uh,
1: that was (sighs) wild. So that was crazy. So that was the end of my, uh, that was the end of my, uh, fast food career, um, decided we were going to move back to our hometown, join the family business. My parents needed some help. Um, quickly found out I liked insurance, um, kind of went all in on that, ended up buying a business in 2012 from our family. I was a third generation owner, um, and then we sold that in October of 2022 to
0: pursue Mod Advisor full time. Wow. Okay. So as There's we unpack-, unpack right there, yeah, I was about to say as we unpack this, I got I got to go back to the important questions. Do you still eat at Arby's?
1: Yeah. Are
0: you an Arby's? Are you are you an Arby's French fry guy? Do you like their curly fries, or no, do you like, like more the- of their crinkles, potato cakes. potato cakes? Potato cakes. Are you just not a French fry guy. You just didn't like theirs as much. I,
1: the fries are fine. I don't know. I'd like the potato cakes. They're better really?
0: for dipping. And yeah. When you said we, we left the, uh, that the fast food space was your, was your wife in that space too? Was she in the insurance business or were you not married at that point?
1: No, what works for us is, is, um, my wife and I believe having a mom at home was, was, was key yeah. and raising our kids that way. And so, uh, so she was at home raising our daughters at the time. We had two daughters. Found out we were pregnant with a third one, and we just kind of realized, you know, this situation is not really where we want to raise our kids, yeah. how we want to raise our kids. Uh, uh, yeah. So when when I came back to work in the family business, I could build my own book. I could be responsible for some yeah. of that, and that was a natural segue into, you know, we kind of started butting heads because I wanted to go this way, and my parents were a little bit more conservative and did not want to make those bold, radical changes later on in their career. And so there finally came a, a point where they said, Todd, this is your baby. You own it. And so they they sold it to me in the uh, the fall of 2012 and away we went.
0: Yeah. So that's something, um, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, I'm second generation as well. Okay. Um, my wife is second generation. You know, her father owned an agency and just recently sold it. My father's 80, still slinging insurance to this day. And so it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of second generation or third generation or, generational takeovers deal with some of those struggles of, you know, it's always been done this way. Now I want to come in and put my own stamp on the way things have always been done and change the way things are, you know, why do you think it's just a generational thing? Or do you think it's just, they're not open to newer things or you, or maybe it's just the stubbornness of the younger guy or girl coming in that they want to do it their way. And they don't want to be known as, you know, the sun coming in or the, whatever it might be. What is, what is it you think?
1: That's a good question. I certainly think some of it's a family dynamic where, you know, you, you have to have a memory of your child of kind of a goldfish because they're going to make mistakes as they grow up along the way. Yeah, And I think as kids grow up and evolve into their own person and be able to control their own destiny, some of those things still get brought up or remembered from the past. So they don't always trust hundred um, percent. So you really have to have conversations to get past that and explain why you're trying to do these things. And hopefully they'll make the leap of faith to, to believe you.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, I, I tend to think, you know, at least with my dad and I, as we were going through this, and I never worked for dad very long. Uh, I went my own way really quickly because yep. we struggled hard with it. It ended up causing more family problems problems and fights than any good that came out of it just simply because my dad was so old school um I think there's nothing wrong I I implemented a lot of new school and old school within my agency when I opened my agency and sold insurance because I do think there's a lot to be said for old school you know I eyeball to eyeball knee to knee you know handshake you know kind of conversations more than you know whatever you know I say hiding behind a keyboard but you know, buying leads and some of the newer school ways of getting leads. And I, I just, you know, I think there's some good to the old school, but uh, I do think second generation agency owners do struggle with some of that. Um, and I just interested to hear, you know, so you kept it for 10 years. Um, I kept it for 10 years, but yeah, to your you, point, our, my, we struggled.
1: Yeah. The family dynamic struggled and finally broke down. Um you know, and it was just, it was time to get rid of it. It was, it was, it was time to go do something else.
0: Yeah. And so I'm, I'm assuming, uh, you know what that means when you assume, uh, but in your 10 years uh, or when you're great, like you gravitated more towards the commercial lines or was your agency a heavier commercial lines agency at TAM agency? So our
1: agency was when I started for our family business in
0: 2004,
1: it was predominantly, I mean, you got to look at where we live. The The agency is in rural Western Iowa, town of 8,200, predominantly yeah. blue collar. There's packing plants and farmers. And my, my dad wrote a lot of farmers. My mom liked to do the personal line stuff and they had, they had a secretary. So it was basically a staff of three people in there. And I came in and it was, everybody kind of had their own thing. And if I wanted to build my own book, I had to figure it out. And I quickly figured out that I liked commercial insurance a lot more. And that allowed me to kind of stay out of the farm thing with my dad and the personal line stuff with, with my mother. And so I went out and started writing commercial and for them, it was a significant change. I mean, all of a sudden we're winning trips, you know, the production is going up, the business is yeah. going up. We're hiring more people, the type of accounts we're writing are getting bigger and bigger, and that's just not something that they had seen and experienced before. And so, you know, when they started, they had a staff of three and I, at one point I think we had 12 or 13 people on staff. Um, and that was just a lot for
0: them. Yeah, I can imagine. And so for you, is it something, obviously you did it to differentiate yourself, but it was something you ended up gravitating towards. You loved doing the commercial side of it?
1: Love doing the commercial side of it. What I found, what I found about the small town though, is the agency that I wanted, the tech enabled, uh, you know, the, the the tech enabled agency to stand out is really hard to grow in a rural town where people can pull their car right up in front of your office, walk 10 foot in the door and demand your customer's time. And so no matter how hard we wanted to change our business and maybe kind of diminish personal lines a little bit, or focus on some of the larger egg side of things, your day is dictated by who walks in your front door. And that's something that really doesn't exist in the larger metropolitan areas. We live in Des Moines now to walk, you know, to walk into a shop, you got to drive 20 minutes. You got to walk through a parking lot. You got to go up five, you know, take an elevator up. And so they don't have the walk-in flow. And in a blue collar town, we would lose. I would lose Friday afternoons from 11 o'clock on because there would be a steady stream of people just walking in the door to make payments. And so you start putting things putting things into place. Well, we're no longer taking payments. Your payment needs to be this. And some people get upset about that. Yeah. And I mean, at some point you have to decide, is your business gonna run you or are you gonna run your business? 100%. And it would, where, where I would get frustrated is if we have these A commercial clients that are paying the freight that need these touch points and we couldn't deliver on some of those because you know, Jane needs to walk in and make her thirty-eight dollar payment on her progressive policy on her auto, and she wants to talk for fifteen minutes to everybody in the office. Would just cripple what we're able to deliver.
0: And that yeah, was to your one point,
1: biggest frustrations about about small town.
0: Yeah, I think to your point, um, you know, I, I've consulted with a lot of agencies throughout my career, and I think one of the biggest things that a lot of smaller agencies or rural agencies, so to speak, rural—that's a hard word to say—rural agencies, rural, rural is that they see that as a status symbol you know those people are walking in that door from 11 on or noon on or whatever that's their justification of well, we're busy today we've got this going on instead of focusing on that's taking away from new activity or whatever there's a lot of those staff members out there in those smaller agencies that view that as well this is my job that's what i gotta do i gotta take care of these people. i gotta take these payments it's part of the customer service when no not really i mean it it is but you're missing out on the opportunity to grow the business
1: yeah that those daily activity tasks that yeah. should not exist we should have people on eft yeah. um i mean the basic transactions and then we actually mapped out our clients you know a b c and d and yeah. we found out that you know a lot of those people that would come in and do the payments you know from a revenue per standpoint were in the top 3 to, or the bottom 3 to 5% 100% but 12 times a year, they're coming in and they're sucking 15 minutes a time. Like it's a negative transaction and you're losing money. And then the conversation becomes, okay, how do we, how do we communicate this to our staff and how do we change our dynamic so that we don't burn bridges in the community that we love and support, but also shift the behavior into the outcomes that we want. And it, it, it was not an easy change. And at some point I finally just got tired of of uh, of doing this, you know, we started building Mod Advisor in 2020. Found out I really like that, and I really like the tech side of things. And my favorite thing about this is I get to control the entire pipeline. You know, unlike insurance, where you're 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 not in control of claims, you're not in control of pricing, you're not in control of what the adjuster is going to do. Tech is not that way. You control everything from the beginning to the end, and that for me was really exciting, and ultimately led to, you know, the sale of Tams Agency.
0: Yeah, was that, uh, as far as, you know, being in the in the family for however long that you said that was, was that an emotional situation, emotional decision?
1: It was. You know, there were a lot of factors that came into play. All of our kids had graduated. They yeah. were not moving back to the small town. Our travel schedule was was more crazy than it's been before. And so the closest airport for us is about an hour and a half away. And so every time you want to go to the airport to travel to a conference or do anything, you know, it's an hour and a half bookend on all your travel days. Yep. And so it just kind of came a point like, well, what do we want to do? What do we want our life to look like? How do we want to support yeah. our kids? How do we want to see our grandkids? Um, and we, we had to make some changes. My kids were not coming back in the family business. We did not have anybody to really take it over and perpetuate it. Um, right. So the buyer that we were looking for was going to be able to help with that. That We wanted people to, we wanted the new buyer to retain our staff. We wanted them to treat our clients well. And ultimately the, the, uh, the company that we sold to is out of Omaha, their family owns banks okay. they also own insurance office and they're very well respected. They win awards for how they treat their employees year. I see their employees work there for their entire lifetime. Um, so I know that they're a good company and so, while while it was kind of a bittersweet moment to sell, um, I also knew that the new buyer was going to be able to take care of our clients and our people the way that we had in the past. And so for us, that made the transition a little easier.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. That is always, you know, a tough part when you come in as the, the next generation and then you sell the agency, you know, and that that's a closing of a chapter in your family of this has been our legacy for would you say how many years did they say it was in so it started in 1933. Wow. So you know, we, to think about 90 years of the legacy of the, the Tams family. So here's something
1: that's really crazy. So it was actually started by, this is nerd family stuff for us. It was started on our family farm back in 33. My grandfather sold uh, crop insurance. Yeah. And back then, and I didn't even know this till probably 20 years ago. Back then, State Farm was not a captive like what it is today.
0: Oh, wow. They had
1: a State Farm contract.
0: My grandfather,
1: yeah, my grandfather in the, in the the thirties had a state farm contract, goes to serve in the war, comes back. And the lady who, the lady who he entrusted while he was serving our country, when he gets back up and takes a state farm contract, the clients leave, starts her own business and he had to rebuild again. Oh my gosh. I mean, you talk about the, the, the grit and
0: that generation was absolutely amazing. Yeah, they were. Um, yeah, they were. Um, that That's a fun story <laughs> to think about that, you know, and having to come back and start over from serving our kind, car- like I said, that's, that's wild. Um, so, okay. Uh, at that point, you said small town and I, and I love small town life. Uh, I do. Uh, I think it's fantastic. But when
1: I started, when I started my insurance career, um, I took a huge pay cut to go back and work for my family. And so if we wanted to eat and we wanted to buy things, we had to sell insurance. Um, and I did that by selling anything that I possibly could in our community. Yeah. Well, that's the path that we started initially. And then as we got into commercial, we still had these personal and farm and some of that other stuff, which it it detracts and limits what you want to do in the commercial world because it takes away your time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the mistakes that I made being a generalist hindered my ability later on to grow. And then you have to figure out how do I transition these clients? Cause they still want to call you. You sold them the policy. They still want to talk to you. You built that relationship with them, but you kind of want to get rid of that relationship because in terms of where you want to go professionally, it's, it's, you know, hindering your ability to do some of those things that you want to professionally. So if I had to do it all over again, hundred percent, I would, I would pick four or five things that I like. I would go vertical and I would only do those and I would cover a multi-state area.
0: Yeah, dude, I completely agree. Um, you and know, that, I, you'll
1: I, go farther. You'll go farther. It might take a little bit longer that first year. It might be slower, but over the turn, over the, the life cycle of your clients, your career, you, you'll, you'll be amazing.
0: Yeah. I just think it just makes total sense, um, you know, to be able to do that because you can, you know, develop a trust and develop a rapport and develop, you know, expertise, so to speak in a particular niche. When I first got in, one of the things that, uh, my dad transitioned more into uh, employee benefits and that kind of thing, and he was uh, really big into niches, and that's how I I came into the business was like, you know, here's a niche that we've developed, go after it, get it, you know, or here's an opportunity for another niche. This carrier's strong, here go. And so I, I I didn't know any other way, but the more and more I I got into it, I was able to become that expert there, and I believe in in that philosophy that agencies can. And should find whatever that niche is, you know, whether it's, you know, I see a lot of them. The first one I see people gravitate towards is like trucking or maybe churches or restaurants or some of that low hanging fruit, which is great. If that's what it is, go for it. But I think you can even be more, um, if you can get more micro, so to speak, or more specified in, I had uh, developed a niche uh, at another company I worked with for um, water well drillers, very specific niche. And you know, you would think that's so specific you can't make money it, but no, there's you know millions of dollars in premium out there to be made just in Arkansas, and so then we started doing that niche in other states. And I am a firm believer in if you're going to navigate through this hard market, because I don't think this hard market's going away anytime soon. I believe it's here for a little while. Then you should definitely go into a particular vertical.
1: I don't, I don't disagree with you 100. And I think if you do that, like if you only want to write the water well trigger d- drillers, you know what to expect on those renewals. You know, I saw a post today in one of our groups, somebody has got to do a 3,500 policy rewrite. And that means they're a personalized generalist. Yep. Like that. My mind, like I don't even know how you do that. Right. I mean, You're, you're, you're rewriting 10 accounts a day on top of all the policy changes on top of all the yep. renewals on top of all the billing things on top of all of the other clients that you have. Um, That's a tough, tough, tough business. It's it's
0: low premium, high touch, lots of work. Yeah, I completely agree. And I even think, you know, people say to me, well, Heath, I'm in personal lines. You can't really, but you know, you can, if you find that you've got a niche, whether it's in, you know, high value or low value or whatever it might be, you could still find niches within there too, to focus on. And then if you do have that many clients, then at least you have that niche there. It'd be easier for you to move those or to talk that language or to figure out which ones are profitable, which ones aren't, which ones you can make changes and risk manage, so to speak. I think there's niches to be made there too. Cool guitar riff, right? Uh, Go to manscaped.com, scroll to the bottom and click uh, discounts or whatnot, and put in the the code MAYOR, 20% off plus free shipping. Uh, You're not going to want to miss this opportunity. Also, I talked about it on my show uh, this episode here in a few minutes, probably um, old school marketing. I uh, can't wait for you to hear more about them on the show. Uh, we we'll the get out of the way, but you got to check them out. OLDE Schoolmarketing.com. Back to the guitar riff, back to this episode.
1: <laughs> I just, I think 3,500 policies. How do you communicate that? Is it text, email, walk-in, right. mail? I mean, yeah. every one of those people wants to be communicated differently. Whether yeah. To go back to what you said, if you're niching out, your clients are going to be dealing with you a specific way in a specific format. You're going to have the expertise to service them. You're going to know what the markets are. It's going to be easier for you to navigate that.
0: Yeah. And I think you could even within this marketplace, I've talked to agencies just over the last couple of weeks, even uh, as we were ending that 2023 of uh, looking for niches in 2024, even like coverage niches of people that say, I'm only going to write workers comp or I'm only going to write. You know, auto or property or whatever it might be, not only, but that's going to be their driving force of their marketing of like, hey, we've got this carrier that's really hot in this particular line of business, so to speak. And so I'm even seeing people niche even further down in the line of business. And I don't know if you've seen that or when you were an agency owner, if that was something that um, popped its head up every now and then, or if that's something totally new to you too.
1: You know, I'm a little bit removed from that right now. I mean, my yeah. my niche is all things workers' compensation right exactly. now. Exactly. Um, I, I I see a lot of cyber popping up. I mean, it's yeah. kind of that's, that's another one. That's a line of covers that's changing drastically all over the place right now. Um, yeah, my niche is all work comp,
0: and that you know, I think that that's one that so many commercial agents, especially larger, you know, we mentioned David earlier. Um, you know, he's based a lot of what he does on the workers' comp and you know, finding that, you know, the holes or the needs there or doing the risk analysis or being able to provide because there's so much that goes into comps. I think that you were uh, wise in going into that niche because, you know, you aren't dealing with most companies' largest expense, which is people. And, you know, if you can protect that large expense in, in your staff, your people, your employees, whatever you want to call it, you know, I think you're uh, it's a smart move on your part. And so, as you've dealt with agencies in that niche, um, I guess I guess first of all, I'd like to know how you, I mean, if you can give me 30, 45 seconds, a minute and a half, whatever, on how you decided on comp and you know, mod advisor and we're kind of the origin story there for a minute, if you don't mind. And then we can get into a little bit about what my mod advisor does.
1: Um, so yeah, my 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 experience was, you know, in rural Iowa, um, as we would reach out most everybody has a good relationship with somebody local in their community. Yeah. Um, you know, they go to church with bill, you know, they see Jane at the supermarket. So for them to break that relationship, to hire you, you've really got to bring value Yeah, and you've got to do something better than what the incumbent broker is because they're friends with that person. They go fishing, they go hunting. They, I mean, there's a million different reasons on, on why they are together. And so even mediocrity will will be okay in the sale because they're friends and that's just good enough. And so I started focusing on workers' compensation as a way to educate people and talk to them about their experience, mod ways they can control their workers' compensation premium. And I would just be transparent. Um, I think workers' compensation is a line of covers that most people tend to gloss over and they tend to think it is what it is. And, you know, here's what the carrier gave us. And maybe we can credit it 10 or 15%, but I really can't do much more for you on your work comp than this. And that could not be farther from the truth to your point. It's typically one of the largest expenses on their, on their commercial insurance renewal, roughly probably 50 or 60% of their overall package, depending upon what type of industry they're in. It can certainly be controlled carriers have all different levers that they can pull to either inflate or deflate that premium. And the experience mod factor is just one component of that. So when you kind of pull the curtain away and open it up and show them, here's how they're rating you, here's the impact of your experience mod, here's the impact of claims. And then you really break that down in terms of a monetary value. Uh, that for me was a winning strategy to help educate these business owners and win their business. And suddenly it wasn't about, Hey, I still like Jim and we're going to go hunting. But the fact that I'm paying $40, $50, 100000 dollars more for workers' compensation and I can reinvest that money in my business, that relationship's not worth that kind of money to me right now. And so that is how I started winning business in rural
0: western Iowa. Wow. And so that led you to Mod Advisor? It did. Um
1: it, we want, you know, Mod Advisor was built out of my own need. I wanted something to take an inherently complex formula and really simplify it down. And even as I do demos and I talk about this, imagine you're sitting in a room with five or six people, you've got the CEO, the CFO, maybe you've got the HR person there, and some of these people have never heard what you're trying to communicate to them. I mean, HR may not know what an experience mod is, and they're the ones that are controlling and are responsible for reporting all the workers' compensation claims that come through. They're responsible for the return to work program. They don't understand the value. And if you're sitting in that room and they don't understand what it is that you're talking about, they're certainly not going to open up and ask questions and appear to look like they don't know. So they just sit there and they'll be quiet. And so I wanted a way to bring reporting forward that you could leave behind and anybody in that Meaning could take it to a third party and explain what it is that they met. So we're trying to take something super complicated and really dumb it down. And so a lot of our reports are built about built around the green, yellow, red. I mean, if you're looking at a loss, uh, an experience report with three policy periods and they're all red, you know it's not good, and you know something needs to change. And so that's an easy thing for us to communicate. And that's why I started building Mod Advisor.
0: Yeah, and you know, was it one of those things that? You know, quickly resonated with the industry once you came out with that. Or did you have some initial competition that you know you were able to, uh, you know, navigate through some of that? Or was it taken pretty well?
1: So our initial product was taken taken pretty well. Um, we got picked up right away by uh, by BrokerTech Ventures. We were That's part awesome. of their 2022 cohort, and for us that was huge. Yeah. Um, you know when you when you you know building a startup with your own capital is true entrepreneurshipism entrepreneur entrepreneurism I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right
0: yeah you got it we're, we're yeah, good
1: whatever word. and so I'm sitting in the the Holmes Murphy office in West Des Moines and you've got 25 different representation from insurance carriers to insurance brokers and they all have the same problem that I did they every single one of them, And they're like, but here's the problems that we have on a grander scale. How do we get data into the system? How do we customize it? How do we do all these things? And so I really listened to what it is that they they had problems with. And we kind of did a, we did a little bit of a pivot in our system in 2022, rebuilt it from the ground back up in 2023, and just last quarter launched a completely, we still have our base core mod advisor platform, but we launched an entirely new API driven business intelligence, integrated, uh, on analysis platform that can be customizable from the top to the bottom for all of our end users. And the meetings that we're having and the interest that we're getting right now is absolutely crazy. And so the coolest thing, the coolest thing that I had happened, um, was in was earlier this year, we actually had a client send us an Excel list of about 2000 clients and we intook took all that data and produced. 2,000 mod files overnight. Whoa. Cus, custom reporting, custom logo, custom branding, custom deliverable, exactly what they wanted for all 2,000 of their clients. And that doesn't exist anywhere else in the marketplace today.
0: No. So, and that,
1: Go ahead. That's no, incredible. I, it gets me super excited because yeah. what we built to the beginning was good enough to compete. What we just released
0: is a winner. I mean, d- d- imagine... I, I, wow. The value that that brings to that agency, you know, uh, of that many overnight, like I can understand if you said a week later, still impressive, but overnight.
1: Well, I mean, there, there was two rounds. Hey, send us the file. We'll test it out. Is this what, you know, and then we validate to make sure some of the formulas are right. Is this what you want? Then send us the entire file. Boom, done.
0: Jeez. Um, and so, I just think, you know, back to, you know, uh, my advisor, what you guys are doing, what you guys have built, what you're up to, uh, you know, as people are navigating through, like I said, the hard market, building out their niches, talking about some of these things, you know, it's no longer sale based on price situation. No longer can you do that. Um, If you're selling based on price and price alone, you know, you're you're in a, a large bit of trouble. I think that you've got to be able to provide some sort of value. So to be able to go in and explain that mod or to be able to show them uh, changes they can make or improvements they can have in their business model to improve certain things. And again, in your case, the workers' comp, uh, to be able to add in programs, to be able to add in this or that, or do OSHA trainings or whatever it might be to be able to lower – their their mod which then lowers their price all the different things um i think it's massive uh and i think that uh, i would love to hear you talk a little bit more about you know people are listening right now whether they're personalized agents or just hadn't d- got dived dove divin dived dove dove i think that's the word dove, <laughs> yeah dove deep into workers comp yet maybe explain quickly what mod analysis is um and then why that's so important but then Maybe talk a little bit at uh, at a high level, so to speak, of what of what you guys are doing in that arena, because I think it scratches a huge itch there.
1: So yeah, I get I get this question a lot, like who who needs mod analysis, and it's not designed for the small the small accounts. Right. It doesn't really right, matter. Right. Um, you know, I get some people that maybe they want to go from personal to commercial, and they're just now starting to write five and ten thousand dollar work comp policies. While we have a resource library that can help support education and return to work programs and things like that really you're not going to see value in what it is that we do because you can't bend the cost curve enough for your client you can't take a five thousand dollar policy and make it one thousand dollars it just doesn't happen um but you certainly can when you start getting upwards of two three four hundred thousand dollars and you look at the different you know carriers have different rating companies that they have preferred rates to not preferred rates and they can start building out their predictive analytics in terms of losses that a client has had before we model out what those losses are in terms of an experience mod which is a number that reflects their historical safety um personally i'm on a mission to change that i'm tired of i'm tired of mod analysis being like looking in the rearview mirror and we do nothing to help businesses when we sit down at renewals in 2024 and say, let's talk about what happened to you in 22, 2021, and 2020. And this is why your premium is X. And they're like, why didn't somebody tell me when these claims were occurring what I could have done in 2021 to save premium today? Coupled by the fact, and we can get deep into this, NCCI just changed the algorithm for every single state in the country. Each state now has their own specific split points, their own unique rating values, and that's moving the mod. So if you're a business that has had high dollar claims in the past and frequent claims, your mods going up faster than it ever has before. So not only is it a hard market costs are increasing, uh, businesses are shopping for insurance, you're seeing carriers pull out of the market. It's becoming more restrictive. Now we can talk about how comp has historically been profitable, but comp and a carrier's overall book of business is probably propping up some other lines that are not profitable right now. So it's account packaging, not necessarily how do we look at each line of coverage on their own and get the best deal. And I don't know, that was a lot to unpack there.
0: No, there's a. I, I love, first of all, um, I I love that you, there's a lot to unpack. I was trying to write it all down, so I can make sure I remember it all. But um, I love that you brought up not looking at it from the review, because I think you're right. Too many and I'll say this right now the citizens listening. Your competition is most likely coming in with that rearview mentality. of mm-hmm. Let's look at what happened. Your rates are going up. Let me explain why your rates went up 20% or 30% or whatever. It's because of da 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 And you're coming at it, from they are, and you are too if you're doing this, coming up from a negative tam- standpoint and not bringing that value where you could go in using a good mod analysis or using mod advisor to be able to say, you know, here's what you can do in the future. Here's what I, I love looking at it from, you know, the forward, you know, moving forward, how you can do better. And you're, then you're, like I said, you're providing a, a service, a value, you know, you're doing more risk management, you're doing something besides just selling on price and what happened in the past. Um, I completely, I love that mentality. I love the way you're looking at that because, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm still, you know, because I haven't sold in a few years now, but I could see, and what I used to do, and what I advise people on is looking at um, ways to prevent what happened in the past. People say, "Hey, it looks like Jimmy is, you know, causing a lot of the problems with your, you know, your auto policy rate. You know, he's had this many wrecks. This is going on here, or Tommy, this employee has done this, this, and this, or Sally is this. You know, maybe you can look at it from specifics there, or there's a frequency in this type of loss. And I'm sure there's things like that you can you know, be able to provide that data insights there.
1: Well, let's, let's take that one step farther. Now that we're, you know, with our new platform, we can integrate with businesses directly and we can start providing claim advice at the time of claim. And so for the first time ever, you know, you can see the impact of maybe some claim engineering where we keep the claim meta only as opposed to indemnity, or we bring somebody into work five days earlier and what we put in a return to work program we can model out all of those things today that are going to affect future premiums. And so if you're, I, I mean, think of a company that has to justify budgets, you know, HR, what you're doing and we've automated some of these things for you when HR says, Hey, I went ahead and we processed these 15 claims over the last quarter. And here's how we, we engineered them. We brought people back to work. These are the things that we've done and the procedures we put in place. And according to our analysis, this is the premium, or the impact we're saving on our mod in the future though like that's real world yeah action today and it doesn't require cameras it doesn't require wearables it just requires a little bit of action at claim time and so part of mod advisors solution center is a ton of return to work programs um just to help people get ideas about why we want to bring somebody back to work why we may not want to let the insurance company let them you know keep them on an indemnity wage thing for three or five days. What do we do on these small indemnity claims? How can we bend that cost curve down? Uh, there's there's a lot of levers that people can pull to keep their mod score low. And that's that's the direction that we're gonna take this thing.
0: Yeah, and I'm interested to take this question. I, I want to hear your answer to this question of like, people talk about uh, return to work programs. And they talk about that and how important that is. And I used to get this question a lot from my clients of like, you know, okay, well, like how, what's some, I guess, what's some advice you could give out there to what a good return to work program looks like? How to implement that to make your clients, you know, have that incentivization or, you know, get their employees to come back to work to want to return to work? Like, what's some advice you can give out there maybe on that? Or do you have any? What's a I good return to work program look like? What? Well, I think
1: it, return to work programs are unique based upon the business. And certainly not everyone is going to be able, I mean, they're going to be off work for a period of time, you know, knee surgery, shoulder surgery. There's not, you're not going to be able to bring that person back to work within a week of that surgery. They're going to be home. Sure. So those claims are what they are. Um, but I certainly, I certainly think that there are a lot of claims where people take a back seat and let other people drive the claim. And so putting in a preferred provider program where your injured worker actually goes to see a doctor, you you who you've communicated your company's stance on return to work. That's step one, not letting the doctor dictate how long somebody is off for work for, um, it is not uncommon for, I mean, doctors are on the side of caution, right? I don't need a doctor telling an injured worker. You need to be off work for seven days. I need a doctor telling me what can this person do? So they're not off work for seven days. And then it's up to me as a business owner to figure out if we have a job accommodation to do that and. So there's step one, if they're going to be off work for seven days, there's nothing that says my company can't keep them on payroll for those seven days to engineer the claim to be met only. Okay. I mean, there might be a value in that. We actually have a case study in our, in our solution center that talks about an employee or an employer that did that exact same thing. He knew how long the employee was gonna be out of work for. We modeled out the claim impact. We modeled out what it would be if the insurance company wrote the check to keep the injured worker at home or the employer wrote the check. And it was a no-brainer for the employer to write the check.
0: Wow, that's, yeah, that's strong.
1: So, I mean, you really gotta get into the weeds of, you know, claim engineering. How do we wanna handle claims? What makes sense? Um, what are the, you know, do we want to bring people back to work? Why do we want to bring people back to work? We're actually working on a report right now inside of Mod Advisor that uses state average weekly wages. And then we'll take the unique data from a business and look at what would happen if you brought somebody back to work three days earlier, five days earlier, how much would that cost based on state average weekly wages? And then you can plug in a couple other numbers and say, if you chose not to do this and your mod goes up by X and your premium goes up by X, how much more revenue does your company need to generate to cover that? And that sometimes is a no brainer. Like to write, to do an extra $300,000 in sales to cover what could have been a med only claim or a reduced claim cost. I mean, wouldn't you rather generate the $300,000 in revenue and flow that through the bottom line rather than increased work comp premiums. So I know yeah. I got you thinking over there and I see the look on your face, but there's, there's a million different yeah, ways to slice and dice this. And it's, yeah. it's so complex. What we're doing is we're taking it and we're making it simple and automating it.
0: Yeah. I, I lo- and, you know, I also think about, um, you got my brain turning over here, thinking about different scenarios that I've even dealt with, um, of, even bringing employees back to work at a different capacity, you know, uh, maybe they can get, do the exact same work the day before, but at least they can come back and do office type work or they could do this or they could do sitting or, you know, something like some, some other type of work in the same job, but maybe a different functions. that makes sense? You know, so, I've, it, you know, even it does make sense. That,
1: and so I'll give you an example on that too. Um, how a business does, how a business begins to integrate a worker, a return to work program inside of their operation is key. And I think how people go about it is massively important. And I've seen companies roll it out. Like the employee was a great worker right up until the day that they got hurt. And now they're just trying to milk everything for what it's worth. And so the employer thinks I need to bring them back to work. And so I'm going to you know, have them count bolts in the corner. Or I'm going to make them sit here and it suddenly becomes like they're being the injured workers being grounded. I
0: uh-huh. actually have
1: a case where where uh, a woman I know uh, was injured in the birthing unit, uh, picking up a baby strained her back, ended up needing surgery. Surgery didn't take, uh, had to have surgery again because the first surgery was botched, and so the return to work program that her employer implemented was having her scan information in the basement in a room by herself. So what was a fun job delivering babies, working with moms and nurses is now isolation in the basement ultimately led to her quitting, finding another job. Now that employer still had to pay the work comp claim, but how they handled that claim cost them more money in the long run. And they lost a 20 year employee. Yeah. So we talk about return to work programs. We have to talk about return to work programs in the right position with the right meaning and the right outcome that involves the injured
0: worker in the right way. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. Um, I just know for me, I was in a, a bad car accident in 2015 and I uh, was off work for a year in a wheelchair. And, I didn't you know, know I I was living off of uh, short-term disability or I guess long-term, whatever it might have been. Yeah. But it was only 66.5% of my wages. So I was struggling there. Luckily, you know, I did have workers' comp to make up some of that. But, I mean, still, I was never able to get to 100%. So. No the return to work program for me was just my own, like, I need to make money, you know, I'm ready to get back,
1: you know? And well, so. And extrapolate that even further. So, you know, how do you play with your kids? How do you make dinner? How are you uh, a supportive spouse? Um, and you're worried about money now, the new financial strains, like injured workers, especially the long-term claims, they undergo a lot of mental stress.
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um And I can remember the little things, like some of the little things that would happen, but uh, not to get off on on my story on that, but I mean, I just, uh, I I just, I find that the whole return to work program, I think it's overlooked by a lot of agencies.
1: I don't, I don't disagree. So, I mean, a lot of things that we do is we'll, we run analysis to show people why a return to work program may make sense for them. Um, And we can show the financial benefits of having a return to work program, but you got to roll it out the right way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, holy smokes! So uh, I just realized how long we've been we've been going. I do want to get into, geez, um, into Mod Advisor. Uh, it, it, you get two people that like to talk on a on a podcast, but um, Mod Advisor. Like, okay, so uh, what are some things that Mod Advisor we haven't gotten into um, that you want to talk about, or maybe some things that are coming out? I don't know what you want to what you want to share or not share yet, or you've got anything new that you can get into or just based, you know, what we've talked about, oh, what's been going on in 2023 that it worked so well that moved in 2024, talk to me a little bit about Mod Advisor.
1: Yeah. So the, the things that I can share with you right now, um, our 2024 roadmap, this new platform that we built and the, the the interest that we're getting across the country, especially from some of the larger brokers, is the ability to automate time-consuming tasks and customize their deliverables. So our new, our gone are the days where everybody has to use the standard same report, you can customize exactly everything that you want. You can customize how you want charts to look. You can customize colors, you can customize order. You can customize any deliverable. You can put that on a web enabled platform or a website updates every 15 minutes in real time. Um, that is super cool and getting a lot of interest right now. Um, just that, that intelligence and that customization side of things. Um, I think, as I mentioned to you before, one of the pains and struggles that we heard coming out of broker tech ventures was how do we get loss information into a platform because it's an extremely manual time consuming process right now. Part of our API enabled platform helps solve that. Um, We're in beta right now uh, with several partners ingesting loss information, putting that directly into Mod Advisor and tabling that. So no longer do they have to key in dates. So we calculate lag time or dates to calculate average age of the injured worker. Um, And I think you're going to see that probably develop over the course of 2024 as we go along.
0: That's exciting stuff, man. That's stuff that hadn't been been seen before, done before.
1: No, it's it's crazy. You talk to some of these people and they're like, oh, we outsourced to a VA to key in the loss run information into our system and it's costing us X amount of money a year. But we don't do that for every account. We only do it for the high dollar accounts or the high mod accounts. That doesn't mean your account that has a 1.35 mod doesn't need a full-blown mod analysis because you can't really develop a true-blown risk management plan unless you know all the risks and all the claims that occurred before. And it's pretty hard to get that from 60 pages of data that's all over the place. So we're going to make it super easy for
0: them. So uh, a lot of my audience that's listening is ranges from the as you mentioned earlier, your father's shop of three people uh, to the larger agencies that you mentioned before—that you know, uh, the enterprise type larger agencies. So, for regardless of size of agency, is there a, you know, a use case for a mod analysis uh, or for mod advisor, or is it built more for the medium to larger size agencies or for the smaller to medium size?
1: Um, you know, I mean, generally speaking, if you're going to be doing any type of mod analysis. You're going to have clients that dictate the need for mod for modern analysis. And you're probably not going to see those in the half million dollar, million dollar revenue shops. It's going to be north of that. Um, so we have a couple of different platforms that we offer and we sell. So if you're a smaller agency that wants to compete with some of the larger ones and do mod analysis, that's great. We have that product available yeah. for you. Um, it's not going to be as customizable and analytical and robust as our key platform for enterprise users but it's certainly functional in terms of education and, you know, the reports that we deliver and the value that you can see from the reports that we provide. And yeah, we want to, we want to try and help everybody, but I mean the, the grand scheme of thing is, you know, to do a mod analysis on an $8,000 work comp
0: account doesn't make sense in anybody's world. Um. Okay. So again, uh, the listeners are listening. What is there certain, Integrations you guys are in, into right now that are making a, a major splash in agencies, or are like making a difference, whether it's with the AMSs or the CRMs or with other products.
1: So we're just that that it's exciting, but we're just beginning to explore some of those integrations right Good. now. Yeah. Until prior prior to September, we weren't API enabled. Now that we are, so as we start having all these conversations, people are coming to us and saying, "How do we extract information out of our AMS?" Uh, we have a data lake over here. How can we push information from our data yeah. lake to your software? How can we automate this where we just send you everything and you send us a report back and we never have to touch it? And so there's a lot of unique use cases that we're having these conversations on. Um, and I'm just really excited to see what 2024 brings and how that shows yeah, up. Because ultimately, you know I mean? the pain in mod analysis and the manual time, the time suck that it did before is going away.
0: Yeah. I, I just think... I mean, you already have, you know, uh, you've already had a successful couple-year run of this. I think we're still just scratching the surface of all the things that Mod Advisor will be able to do for an agency looking at 2025, 26, 27, and beyond. I think it's exciting.
1: Yeah, I guarantee you There's nobody, there's nobody in the country working harder right now to make mod analysis more simple than me and our team and uh, our roadmap in 2024 and 2025 is super exciting, and it's just going to get easier and easier as time goes along.
0: Does that stem from a passion from you? I think I just lost. I no, just lost man. you there. What was that? I said, does that come from a you know a passion that you have for the agent or for for a workers' comp or for the industry? Like, where does that come from in in Mod Advisor?
1: Oh, I'm a hundred percent passionate about this. I. I mean, there's no reason a business should have an experience mod greater than one. There's no, there's no reason your business should be not even average. Why? as a business owner, I don't want my business to be below average. And yet we see mod files that come through every single day where mod scores are greater than one, meaning you're worse than your peers. And you're certainly not as good as the top performers. Uh, it costs a lot of money, a lot of wasted money. It's an inflationary system that every time you have a claim, everybody kind of gets paid along the way. So you need to really control those costs. So I'm 100% in on helping brokers, helping businesses, helping HR people just really become more educated and drive down their costs. Ultimately it's the right thing. I mean, we can talk about this in terms of driving down premium, but if your business takes prevention so you don't have claims for your injured workers, holy crap, how awesome would that be?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, okay. Um, quickly before I get into my last hard hitting question, um, ways to get a hold of you or if they, if they want to connect with you, um, is there a email address, website, you know, a LinkedIn or a social platform? Yeah, all what those. Do you,
1: want to, all you can search them? for Todd Tams, you can search for Mod Advisor. You can find me on TikTok, Instagram, we're all over the place. Awesome.
0: So, okay, I have a couple hard hitting questions for you. Uh, okay, I'm ready. Um, first of all, I've heard People from Iowa that talk about this butter cow exhibit thing. What is that all about? Why is it such a big deal?
1: Well, so I'm not necessarily the best person to ask for this, but it's its a cow made out of butter that they make every single year, and they put on display in a cooled room at the Iowa State Fair, and you can go
0: walk by and look at a cow made out of butter. And, and why, I mean, why is it such a big deal? I mean, where did that even, I don't know. I guess if you're the wrong person to ask. I just, what is the infatuation with Casey's Pizza? So this is interesting.
1: Um, I actually lived in Ankeny when they first started piloting uh pizza at Casey's restaurants. Yeah. And I think the last time I heard Casey's serves more pizza than most pizza franchises.
0: Across the yeah, we have a Casey's now in Arkansas, and like people are lined up to get pizza, freaking Casey's. And I'm like, it's gas station pizza. I don't get it it's interesting the pizza dynamic i mean
1: growing up it was we had pizza hut and we had godfathers and those were the two places yeah and
0: yeah. there was an
1: individual guy in our town that had a his own pizza place and then when the two franchises came in i think they kind of put him out of business right but now like pizza it's pizza hut it's godfathers it's uh it's um, everything i'm trying to think of of all the different ones i mean casey's serves pizza i mean you can get pizza
0: anywhere yeah now
1: taco okay. pizza that's my favorite
0: though what taco pizza Taco pizza, okay. Um a scotcheroo Is that something that you love in your family? Uh we don't have scotch. I mean, people talked about scotcharoos, and I'm like, we don't I've never had a scotcheroo in Arkansas. Yeah,
1: I think it's isn't it like special K with like you know I don't know, I'm asking syrup you up and then chocolate. Okay. I, we don't see, I don't eat those. uh um, you all know,
0: have a lot of things we don't have, like pork tenderloin sandwiches. Y'all are a big deal on that. Like and then what's a what you know what a made right is? Oh, yeah, loose meat sandwich. Like what's the difference than that in an Arby's roast beef sandwich?
1: Well, so so Arby's is like, you know, it's a roast that they slice up and a sliced roast yeah. beef. Uh a made right's gonna be more like hamburger that's been chopped up into fine pieces, seasoned up. And then so and then they just put it on a hamburger bun.
0: It's like a sloppy joe.
1: It's a sloppy joe without the sauce. Okay. So the sloppy joe, they'll mix in the, the tomato So just ground or some beef on a bun. Sauce. Ground beef on a bun and you season it up. Yeah. The made right, see, I love I love a good made right.
0: Dude, uh, I appreciate you coming to hang out and talking to me a little bit. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to come out in 2024. I'm just listening to this. It's exciting. Um, You know, good luck with all of that. Good luck with everything going on in 2024 and beyond. Um, Thank you again. I appreciate it.
1: He, thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for hosting the podcast. Um, Listen to it. Love what you're doing. Thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate that. Happy New Year. Happy
0: New Year.